0: class, please be quiet. Shh! <laughs>
1: alive. alive!
2: It's alive! It's alive! It's alive!
0: Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. Welcome to the RPG Academy Network Presents. Film Studies. Welcome, classroom. I'm Dakota, and tonight I will be your teacher for Film Studies. Tonight, we're going to watch Armor of the Gods 2, Operation Condor. It's directed by Jackie Chan, it's from 1988. Today I'm joined by two lovely people, Amelia. Hello. And Clum. Hello. This film is sort of... We'll get into it, but the, the basic concept is Jackie Chan's take on the Indiana Jones sort of action adventure movie i wouldn't say that there's any content or explicit language concerns. did you guys say that there's anything worth mentioning not really i mean there's a bit of a nudity yeah I think it's, it's
1: like th- side boobs and uh, stuff like that uh, nothing major nothing uh not the worst
0: the 80s have to offer
2: yeah no i think it was pg-13 and it was pretty solidly in that category i think
0: What would you guys say is your one sentence review of the movie?
2: The movie taught me that Indiana Jones should have kicked more people in the face.
0: And Clum, what about you? I would say this movie does blow away people in the end. (laughs) I'm a big Jackie Chan fan, and this is his attempt at making one of those Indiana Jones films, which I love so much. It's not his worst, it's not his best, but it's still a fun movie. And it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, it was great fun. It's probably one of his least well-known films. It's a sequel to a film that didn't have a theatrical release in the states. It's sort of out there, I would say, for uh, one of his movies. It's not something he usually does. I'm not sure about that because
1: I did hear about Operation Condor, which is the U.S. and European release title of this movie. It was not movie as a released as a sequel. It was released as a standalone.
0: Armor of the Gods. One did not have a US theatrical release. It was Armor of the Gods 2 that was released theatrically first in the States. So it was released out of chronological time, I guess would be a way to put it. But, um.
2: That title thing confused me. I was not sure what that was. I was like, why is it a two? And why are we only watching the second one? I mean, it was it was fine. I didn't need the, the first, first one, apparently.
0: isn't The first one wasn't very good. And you don't need to actually have watched the first one to understand anything that happens on yeah. this film.
1: Sequels in the 80s could be very confusing. Uh, I mean, uh, you got Rambo 2, which is a sequel to a movie which is not called Rambo. There are a number of examples. And it, it don't even get started about Night of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead. Uh, things become extremely confusing. Uh, at that point but uh, yeah what i meant is uh when it was released in europe i feel like it was kind of the first jackie chan movie which was i guess this big break in the us and europe maybe uh rumble in bronx but this one was definitely a step towards that because i remember hearing about that movie uh when i was a kid so it, it's not that unknown i would say the title did ring a bell and uh and uh, my wife who watched the movie with me did remember
0: a couple of scenes from it okay well i i hadn't been born when this movie was, <laughs> so everything is kind of oh my god millennials again
2: uh, i mean depending on when in the year it came out i may or may not have been
0: <laughs> so before we get into the synopsis of the movie i would like to plug a youtube video by every frame of painting it's how to Do Action Comedy. It uh, breaks down Jackie's style. It gives a very detailed kind of overview of what makes action and comedy work. I highly recommend it if you like Jackie Chan movies or if you just like editing or action. It, it, it's, it's a very good video that will sort of change your mind, I think, about Jackie Chan films. Uh, I mean, you guys watch it.
2: I thought it was fascinating. Um, it was really interesting to see both how they frame things very carefully how they're edited very carefully in particular just how meticulous Jackie Chan is with the setup of his scenes and redoing takes hundreds of times potentially to get it exactly right cuz so it looks so cool and some of those things last a second in the film but he puts so much effort into making them just so
1: Yeah it was a fascinating video I really enjoyed it I'm kind of a geek about uh, filmmaking and Uh, At the same time, it's frustrating to see such a video highlighting some things about the art of filming action scenes that I'm even more frustrated when I see other movies today which fail to apply those lessons and many other lessons. I'm a bit frustrated with the quality of editing over the last uh, five years or or so. And that video, uh, it's great. And uh, there's even little bits of interviews with Jackie Chan which are excellent. uh, Very nice. I love when he the show a scene where he fights with a fan, a wind fan, that's all you call that? Yeah, it's a fan. It it's from the Rank- Rankin Master, and uh, the scene is gorgeous. And his comments on that is that anybody can do it. Uh, it's just it looks so masterful on film because you only see the best three minutes of five days <laughs> of shooting uh, that thing. And it's it's mind-nobling to think that nowadays big, big production... They're going to spend so much time in CGI, but they're, they're going to shoot everything just once uh, rather than at least three or 10 times and then pick the best take. So, yeah, it's fascinating to see Jackie Tyson say, yeah, when I'm in the US, even it's not just the mastery really, of someone like him. You, you cannot, you take him a, across the Pacific Ocean to film in the US and it doesn't work anymore because his method of filming is not accepted in the US because it's too expensive, where what costs you the most is uh, the people on set, the time you spend on set, and, and all these sort of things. So they got millions for CGI, but they, they don't have uh, the millions it would indeed take for the insurance and everyone, and booking a street, and and doing all this crazy thing, which uh, Jackie Chan would spend uh, God knows how much time doing in uh, in Hong
0: Kong, or at least he was in the 80s. I'll try and get that in the show notes, but it's Every Frame of Painting, How to Do Action Comedy. Definitely worth checking out.
2: Absolutely. It was super informative.
0: Uh, we're going to get into the film proper now. I'm going to do a quick synopsis. Uh, I would recommend kind of watching the movie itself. I would say it has three main kind of location beats. Spain, the desert, and then at the end, a secret Nazi base. But we'll get to that. The movie begins with what amounts to an homage to Indiana Jones and Raiders to the Lost Stark. With Jackie, or codename Asian Hawk, reclaiming artifacts from a native tribe only to escape a- down a mountain in a Zorb. In typical 90s action. Uh, <laughs> he's not running away from the boulder. He is the boulder. But our film begins proper when Jackie is summoned to Spain to assist in finding 240 tons of buried Nazi gold in the depths of the Sierra deserts. Uh, the UN gives him an unofficial mission. Locate the base and recover the gold. If he can manage that, a fraction of its wealth would be his. Acquiring a key to the base, he is partnered with Ada, an expert on African geography. Jackie, with this information, begins his investigation towards the mysterious base and the 18 soldiers that disappeared mysteriously. Digging into this mystery, he looks into Elsa, the hair of one of the 18 soldiers. This leads Jackie to more trouble than it's worth, and as people begin to chase after the key in an attempt to beat Jackie to the treasure. With an awesome chase across Madrid, Jackie manages to shake off his pursuers just in time to set off for Africa with Ada and Isla toe. After a somewhat comedic stay in Africa, the trio are once again attacked by people after the treasure. With the would-be attackers repelled, the trio meet up with yet another unlikely character, Momoko, a uh, Japanese woman searching for the meaning of death, uh, which ultimately ends up with Ada and Elsa being kidnapped and threatened to be sold off as slaves. With the help of Jackie and Momoko, the original trio, run off and manage to fall literally into the ruins of the base. So our final set piece begins as Jackie and company are running around an ancient Nazi base attempting to discover the mysteries of the base and find the ill-fated gold. We have some interesting revelations and some awesome fight scenes with Jackie's action and comedic skills on display with Momoko, Ada, and Ilsa even getting their own moments to shine in what ultimately leads up to a blow you away i believe is how colin put it definitely worth checking out it's fun full of great action and jackie hurting himself i think the major injury for this film was him destroying his sternum ow a lot of people seem to hurt themselves
1: even not just in the after show uh, bloopers but yeah there's a car chase scene uh, uh badly hurt himself during that
0: so let's go around the table Clum. Could you tell us your, you know, your favorite moments, the things you liked, things you didn't like?
1: My favorite moment is kind of weird. It's just, uh, there's kind of a montage of them traveling from Spain as a group to Africa. And there are two characters involved in that. I know one is called John because spoiler alert, he dies at some moment in the movie and his first name is yelled by his partner. But yeah, there's, uh, Elsa. Are you talking about the Arab duo that's no, no, chasing after them? No, no, that? no, no, there are two, there are two team members of Jackie's team of uh, Asian Condor's team and, uh, Aida and Elsa. They are two Caucasian men. I think they are English. I totally forgot about these guys. And, uh, yeah, there's this montage of them traveling into the desert and, uh, crossing from Spain. And they're having a lot of love, their picnic gets eaten by a bear. They run out of water in their car radiator, so they have to pee in water bottles. And one of the unnamed Caucasian guys apparently can pee a lot in a big water bottle. What? And okay, wait, wait, I don't. This
0: scene—I seemed... feel like
2: this was not in the movie that I watched.
0: <laughs> yeah, this was not in the movie I watched. <laughs>
2: Do you have bonus scenes that we don't have?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, man. No, wait. I'm going to check this immediately. Uh, I got my YouTube so I can tell you exactly when it happens in the movie, but
0: it's this weird montage just at the moment they leave Spain. There was no, there was just Jackie, Ada, and Ilsa, and I have no idea what you're talking about.
2: <laughs> He's like, no, I'm sure.
0: No, I, I've watched this movie like half a dozen times. I've never seen <laughs> these two characters. <laughs>
2: I thought What's maybe I looked on? away, but then he said a bear, and I was like, no. Are, are you kidding? They, they, at,
1: at some, No, no, yeah, they they even get killed by the mercenaries when they
0: leave the camp after mm. Ada and Elsa got kidnapped. I think this is dependent on the location and cut of your movie. In the version I watched, there... The- yeah,
1: it, it's weird because you got that montage and then you got a, a couple scenes in, uh, I'm going to send you the link right now. And uh, yeah, the, that montage is so weird. But, uh, yeah, that's John and the other unnamed, uh, gentleman. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, the montage is, uh, is really funny and really out of place and maybe so out of place that it got cut out by some people. I think film studies, we are cursed with, versions of movies now <laughs> because it's, it's clear for episode one we didn't watch the right version
0: of brotherhood of the wolf i i, I sent everyone a, a link to the video that I, I think that's what we're going to have to do in the future is make sure that everyone is watching the same version uh but you know
2: what it's funny because when i went to pull it up on amazon too um there were like three different versions and all released different years too so like one was 1993 one was 1997 and like they were both exactly the same length and had like the same number of stars but like a different release year too so
1: so amelia what did you enjoy the most in your version of the movie
2: (laughs) in the movie that i watched um no i think my favorite part was at the end toward the end was one of the one of jackie's fight scenes where they're on those there, it's it's not like scaffolding, but it's like moving up and down. Yeah, it's really hard to describe, but it was like these platforms that were kind of moving up and down. Seesawing. Yeah. And it's just this brilliantly choreographed fight scene. Um, you know, like I always think of in Star Wars, they're always fighting up high and people are falling off of, um, you know, scaffolding and railings and things like that. And it was kind of reminiscent of sort of that level of... Not only are you fighting all of these people, but if you don't stay on this platform, you're going to fall to your death, too. And it was just brilliantly choreographed and beautiful to watch and just, like, fun.
1: So I found the scene. I'm sending you the link right away. Oh I want to know what's
2: up with this bear.
1: Yeah, no, but the bear is
0: awesome. Oh, this is a different dub than the one I listened to. This is this did not happen in the cut that i watched side note about dubbing at first i wanted to do the
1: hipster and watch the original uh, language version so cantonese turns out i don't think there's any original version of that movie because it's quite clear that in the cantonese version all the non-chinese people of course are fully dubbed and in the english version everybody's dubbed too and i'm not even sure in the english version if I don't think the, engine, the sound engineer showed up on any shoot of that movie. Everybody sounds like they've been overdubbed anyway.
2: Oh my god, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is really good. I wish this was in the version that I watched. <laughs> so, So, okay... I'm really jealous of this movie that you got to watch. So just
1: to <laughs> clarify, you got this scene where they travel. It's a montage of different things. They do wacky things. You, you just have music and you got no dialogues whatsoever. And you got those two characters who are two Caucasian men and uh, who seem to be part of the group and enjoy themselves with the main cast. And they never name. They don't show up in the scenes later in the hotels. The only moment where they show up later is to... uh They are at the camp when they get attacked by the mercenary after being attacked by the desert bandits yeah, they they just get killed cold blood by the mercenaries, which is really, really felt out of place. And because at that point I was like, I finally know the name of one of them because they're not even named. And I was like, no, they they killed John. (laughs) And I was like, oh, at least the other is alive. And maybe I I hear his name. And just after he's shot off screen,
2: (laughs) no. Yeah, that's crazy. because You never see those guys ever like,
0: I've watched this movie like half a dozen (laughs) times, notwithstanding for film studies. I've never, (laughs) never known about (laughs) this. I guess
2: you didn't have uh, the emotional roller coaster of learning about John's
1: death. (laughs) I I guess it's your Biggs and Luke Skywalker getting drunk and uh, with a a, a porn actress also uh, acting with them. You know, it's one of those lost scenes uh, from Star Wars and uh, other movies.
2: Interesting that yeah that bear was totally.
0: It's like, oh, picnic got eaten <laughs> by a bear. <laughs> <laughs> Adventures. See, I wouldn't have believed you, and then I saw Jackie Chan next to everyone. <laughs> uh, okay. What about your close relationship to that movie? Uh, what's your favorite scene? Uh, well, no, I, I, I like Jackie Chan films in general, from the eighties to two thousand exactly. My favorite scene, sort of, in this film is the car chase across Madrid. It's great, great car chase. Uh, Jackie even saves a baby in a carriage. What's not to like?
2: So good. I was watching that and I was like, this is so tropey and it fits perfectly. At some points
1: look like an old car commercial when you see just one car and then you, you find out there's like six of them. Oh, splitting. The, the
0: splits. Yeah. 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 That was a good, that was a good moment. Very well coordinated. It It was a great moment. Obviously, most of any of his action scenes are also pretty great. It's just Jackie. It reminds kind of a bit uh, of the Blues Brothers also but because of the, yeah, the amount yeah, of destruction.
1: Bit. They did not destroy as many cars, but uh, they did destroy a lot. I, I double-checked because uh, I sort of recognized the style of stunt cars. Well, uh, uh, the, uh, it was made by uh, a French gentleman called Rémy Julienne, who is a major, major monument of car stunts. I mean, he's been doing everything: French comedies, James Bonds, everything up to the two thousands. Was his work really uh, any big car chase you would think of? This guy was involved. Remy Julien and uh, yeah, I think it's it's nice.
2: I to didn't play. know that was a job you could have. Car oh, chase yeah. coordinator. I mean, it makes sense, but it's one of those like I don't think. It- I
0: think it's stunt coordinator. I think it's the exact title. The- I mean,
2: probably, but I don't think you, like as a kid, are like, oh, I want to choreograph car chases. Like, that's a cool job.
0: So would you recommend this film to fans of a tabletop RPG as inspiration for any any moment from the film? Is there one scene in particular that you would say, you should watch this, this would be great for a game?
1: Uh, I think it's a difficult one. I think in, in the team of film studies, I, I find it funny because I think it is a better movie than Brotherhood of the Wolf. But it's not tabletop RPG so much uh, as it was. Um I think the, the main take I would get from it would be sort of the plot being an accessory. It doesn't really matter. The investigation is easy. Things flow. And what matters is the actions and the, the interactions between characters. That's the main lesson I would take for a tabletop RPG, doing, okay, do a story with a big thing, can be an intrigue or whatever, but make it super light and always be there to make it sure that there's an ex-machina helping your players.
0: Clum, would you say that this is sort of like, if this was an RPG, this was probably maybe a con game, something that four people sat down at a table for two hours and rolled some dice, had some fun, story, you know, notwithstanding, you know, just have some fun? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, that's the idea,
2: I would agree. I think that, like, you could have taken a lot of those action scenes and the, um, idea of looking for a treasure and, like, you could have mapped that onto really any kind of plot. Like, it didn't have to be Nazi gold. It didn't have to be in the desert. It didn't have to be, like, any of those things. Like, you could have replaced any part of that and it probably still would have been okay. I don't think any one scene was like, this is something that I want to run in a tabletop game. I think that the movie as a whole is a good concept for like a tone of a game, if that makes sense, to have fun and to kind of, you know, at the end, come away feeling like a hero and to have like sort of those big scene moments.
0: So sort of swashbuckling action, and serial adventure type story.
2: Right. Yeah. It's not your heavy drama, sort of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. Jackie's never really known for his heavy drama. He has done a few, but yeah, he he's always... Been more focused on the action comedy than uh, definitely serious storytelling. I would say
1: the movie almost more than exactly a lesson to apply to tabletop RPG. I take it more as a challenge, especially after watching again the video you recommended. Uh, every frame uh, a painting, which is, how would you apply those lessons, which is to. To interact with the environments with elements and apply to top t- t- RPG. That's definitely something I-, I would like to, to do, but it's a big challenge. Uh, how do you do that? How do you make that fight scene really interact with the environment and make it so that? That's one of my points for later. Oh, sorry.
2: You asked the question, man. Do you want him to answer the question? Or not? What? <laughs>
1: what? There's an order. We've got a structure order, but we jumped to the second topic of tabletop RPG, so either we follow it or not. So, yeah, okay. So what do you want to still say about flows and swashblocking then? Well, I was
2: just going to say that I, I think more than what kind of game you could run with it, I think it's an interesting look at how you would run a game. It's um, sort of the tone of the game that you want rather than like taking specific elements and translating them into your story. I think it's a really good look at how to maybe do a fun kind of game where your players feel like sort of big he- heroes and, and that kind of thing. So I think it's an interesting study in in the tone of a game that you would run.
0: So Amelia, with that that in mind, I have, I have a question. Have you looked at Feng Shui 2 by Atlas Games?
2: A little bit. I've heard a couple actual plays of it, looked over the rules briefly. I've never actually gotten to play it. It's one I would really, really like to try out.
0: Well, we're going to move into sort of what RPG we would adapt this movie into. And for me, I would adapt this into Feng Shui 2. captures some of those moments you were just talking about, the lightheartedness, the the heroes beating the bad guys. Very, feng Shui 2, I feel is probably one of the best to capture the Hong Kong cinema martial arts movies as far as an RPG. But, uh, you guys might have some different thoughts. It's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, it's, it's clear that's what Feng Shui is,
1: uh, is trying to, to emulate. I did play it once for a one-shot and it was, was pretty much strictly one action scene. So it would be like only the final scene of the movie we saw. It was a, train ride on carts, jumping, and yeah, fighting. And uh, yeah, it was very interesting. Oh, the system would make that action scene rich. But that's the only experience I had with that. And in general, I'm action, I don't know. Uh, tabletop RPG action is important, but at the same time, it's not. I mean, Hard to do well. Yeah, it's right? difficult. That's a, a really challenging
0: thing. So the the thing about Feng Shui 2, I've played it once as well. But as my understanding is, characters roll to see how many shots. And initiative is tracked with various actions taking a certain number of shots. So if you roll 13, attacking is a two shot. What that is, is you punching someone is a cut. And then somebody else is a cut. And you get this sort of flow, you know, back and forth of people doing things in a scene. For those that don't know about Feng Shui 2, that's, that's sort of how it works. It's supposed to emulate those cuts, those edits, those punches, actions. That's, that's the only one I would kind of adapt this into. Clum, do you have any other recommendations you would adapt this into? Well,
1: I listed a couple, but the truth is I, I don't know them very well. I was hoping to get a bit of, uh, so yeah, I just making a, a quick, this one called Overkill, the action movie role playing game by Joseph Barber. Another one called Action Movie World by Ian Williams for Flatland Games. But I don't know anything about those two uh, games. And uh, I apologize not to have had the time to research them properly. I know that Phil from Misdirected Mark mentioned an action movie role-playing game he he played several times. But sadly, was not uh, available to give me more information. I couldn't remember when he he talked about it. So maybe you want to check Panda's Tokyo Game uh, or uh, Misdirected Mark podcast for that. I think the, also the thing which always works for whatever you want to do is GURPS. <laughs> As Tanner would tell you, no, I, I never played GURPS, I don't know, it's just a generic system, just having, a, at the expense of, of Tanner, your game master, so. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, in, in Tanner's words, there's always 10 better systems to run whenever you want to run <laughs> than there is in GURPS. I mean, into that, you could say Genesis probably would be a good one too. That's Fantasy Flight's new.
1: Uh, you, Amelia, you, were you the one who suggested Wushu by Daniel Bain?
2: Correct. Um, I, again, not a game that I have ever played. I've heard very good things about it, but the entire point of the system is to emulate action movie style games. Their suggested ones are like The Matrix or, you know, like Jackie Chan movies, things like that. You earn more dice as you add details to a scene and then you get to roll those and kind of have more control over what you're trying to do. But you basically as a group pick a genre and you kind of describe these elaborate scenes and then play them out. It sounds really fun and it sounds exactly like what you'd be looking for to emulate this kind of style with those big action scenes. But again, I have not had a chance to ever play it. I've heard really good things about it though.
0: Overall, well, we recommend Feng Shui 2 and maybe Wushu, and the others are worth checking out for sure, but I think our experience is mostly with Feng Shui 2. But let's let's transition into how we could apply some of these themes and ideas to a tabletop RPG in Clum. I'm sorry for cutting you off earlier with this, but Let's continue our talk about fights with flow. You know how to accomplish them, and we see this in different uh, genres as well. And uh, the one I can think of is a swashbuckler: Errol Flynn, Robin Hood, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, even a, Muppet uh, Treasure
2: uh, Island. No, <laughs> even a, a,
0: it's not exactly a, a swashbuckler, but even the the good scene from Gladiator. Overall, it's the the environment in itself is a character, and during scenes you interact with that environment to accomplish things. Jackie uses this as his main way of fighting in a lot of films. He fights with ladders, chairs, car doors, fans, fridges, uh, pinball machines. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything that Jackie Chan hasn't fought with. So how, other than player engagement, like having your player narrate these things, how can you engage the player to do these sort of the environmental attacks, you know, use the environment um to accomplish a action movie feel.
2: I think as a GM, you can work to set up scenes where you make it pretty clear that there are these other environmental factors. I think sometimes for players, it can be a little hard to picture what's around and really how to use it. I think that there are some games, too, that you can kind of offer mechanical benefits to utilizing some of those things. Like the Fantasy Flight Star Wars games where you can have, you know, your advantages and threats and things like that, too, to kind of utilize those mechanically to say, okay, I grab this thing that is in the scene um, and use it to my benefit grabbing things. And some of that is on player engagement, but I think some of it is on GMs to kind of describe that those things are clearly available for players to use. I think that can be helpful for people sometimes.
1: Yeah, definitely setting well the scene and highlighting elements like a, a big stair or a big a thing hanging on the, from the the ceiling are interesting things. Beside that, the two big things tends to to be what you were already mentioning, Amelia, is a bit of agency giving, uh, sharing with the the players. Maybe mentioning it at cent- session zero that they should feel free to come up with elements of the environment which makes sense within this environment, but to use them like, I don't, I don't know, curtains or, again, something hanging, hanging for the ceiling, as long as it's not, a, oh, I just find a lightsaber on the ground and I use it.
2: <laughs> within reason, right?
1: <laughs> That's within reason. Try to be encouraging with that and to reward that. And then I would say try to lead with example. The only time I really succeeded at sort of doing that it was with D&D 4th edition, which is not the most flexible for this sort of thing, but yeah, the environment was kind of a bit wushu-like. It
0: was a sort of a, a nin in a kind of um, spirit. Cause you can manipulate where people are. You can manipulate the environment with certain spells and effects. If I recall 4th edition, right, Club?
1: Uh, well, 4th edition is very. Tactical. So it's, uh, it's almost like you got everything on a map and everything is drawn. But what I did for that session, I made it clear that it was a two level room. So it had this feel of the main scene in Kill Bill where you got people circling around the room on the upper floor. There were tables being flipped, a chandelier hanging from the ceiling. And then you try to lead by example, having your own NPCs. Using that, jumping up and down, breaking tables, flipping tables, grabbing something—the the fact that you do it usually should encourage your players
0: to emulate what you're doing. Yeah, it's great, a great advice, I think. So, action is the center of an RPG adventure. Most people think of D and D combat, three to four encounters a session, most of it being combat. And obviously, I've played D and D for a while, three five, mostly. Combat in D anD D slows down to a slog, and which is considerably the opposite of the sort of tone and feel that an action movie brings out. A fight in an action movie is quick; it's smooth. How can we adapt the the pace and the feel of an action movie into an RPG?
2: I think a lot of what slows down combat in a lot of systems is the number of rolls that it takes to do something. And you know, it's like you roll it to hit it once and then you roll again to hit it again. And then you move on to the next person and they do the same thing. And so resolving some of that cinematically can help. You can kind of have a descriptive scene more than a mechanical rolling and then explaining. Or you can kind of boil down something bigger into a single roll rather than rolling every time you want to hit it again, I think can help kind of move things along. It's That, unfortunately, is like the eternal problem of combat in any RPG system. It's not a problem that we've managed to solve well, at least yet. But I think doing things cinematically can help a lot. If your players are up for that, some some people don't like to do it that way.
0: So one thing that I – this might not be like a, a common thought. Something I've seen is when a character rolls to attack someone in combat, have them roll their damage with that that roll and that can actually speed up things considerably. For some reason this wasn't a thought that I had until I saw it about like a year or two ago and like now that I see it it makes sense, but there are little things, you know, being prepared on your turn when it comes around, making sure that, you know, you roll everything at once just to get it out of the way. The less time you're, you're rolling dice, the more time you're narrating what's happening. That's how I think you can kind of speed things up. Yeah, it's a little Practical advice, which can speed things
1: uh, quite a bit because, uh, at the end of the day, after 10 or maybe 20 rolls, uh, you, you actually save 10 minutes or so. For the players also, try to think ahead of what they're going to do. Uh, that's nothing worse than, uh, well, I mean, it can apply to a game master, but, uh, someone, oh, that's my, tour. oh, what am I going to do now? Try to, to anticipate your actions. I think from the game master part, to some extent, you know, even we're talking about action movies being fast paced, etc. It's interesting in Jackie Chan movie I was watching the fight scenes uh in um Armor of God 2 and actually there's a lot of punches exchanged and uh the you don't have characters being hurt or knocked down immediately, I come back and and the, the fight is actually quite long with a, a lot of little punches. But what changes is the situation, the overall situation that's what brings variety. So you have a fight having minions can help so you know you knock them a couple of them quite quickly so that that gives a, a bit of pace it maybe if you have npcs or opponents foes which are stronger it's going to take more hit points to really hurt them or make the the thing change go ahead and try to rhythm your combat with the setting changing marking beats within the thing okay there's a fight there's a couple exchanges of swords and shield Describe the shield being a bit damaged or the, the, the armor. Then the warlock throws a, a fire spell. Okay. Something catch fire. Maybe not the whole place, but a few things catch fire and you bring it back. No and dead.
2: That's really interesting. Cause I feel like I, I have not necessarily had that experience. Like when I've played D and D too, it's, it's, you're hitting the same thing over and over again. And it's like nothing is really changing except that like you know in your head that the numbers are going down. So it starts to. I think that's part of what makes combat feel really long sometimes too. Is that it feels like you're just doing the same thing over and over again until you are done, and you know your this monster dies.
0: So the GM should then engage the the NPCs, the monsters, the the, the bandits, the characters to move around, do things. I might not be optimal, but it will make for more interesting moments in that combat. One thing that I remember, Tanner, uh, my GM at Shadow of the Cabal, I believe it's the Powered by the Apocalypse, the 12 health red dragon. It's an interesting read as to why a dragon has 12 health and sort of how Powered by the Apocalypse handles those big story moments of killing a dragon that only has 12 health. And it's definitely worth checking out. It kind of dictates the, it changes your mind as to how, player fighting a monster can be seen because it goes from killing somebody for health points to narrative beats towards a fight.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, actually it's been translated even in uh, the guide to dungeon world. Uh, uh, there's a French version and they included that article in it. It's by, uh, Sage Latora. It's actually 16 hit points dragon. And, uh, yeah, it really applies to dungeon world. And the idea is that You might hit, 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 and it doesn't do anything to the dragon because you need to hit a specific way to hurt him. I think, just coming back on the idea uh, on Dungeons & Dragons, it's quite interesting. I don't recall if it exists in 5th edition, but in 4th edition you had the condition of blooded. And I think it was a, a step towards that. Because there were two things with being blooded or not, or your foes being blooded or not. First of all, your character might have advantages against foes which are uh, under this condition, blooded, or some stuff like, uh, I guess, barbarians or certain kind of creatures. Some get
0: stronger when they're... Hurt. Yeah,
1: they get stronger when they get blooded because they, they they got their back against the wall and they need something. I think if you want to rhythm the game as a game master, it can be very interesting to sort of prepare a few... you're Even the environment can be just the character... Okay. When I'm one third along the way into his total health point pool or when I feel it's appropriate in the combat, I've got this line I prepared in advance or this reveal about this thing about what is happening or something is happening with, with his armor or is the clothes of the creature or whatever. It's nice to, yeah, something changes, something happens and rhythm the overall combat rather than being this dragging pool of, and I think it, it, it actually exists. In video games, when well, it's interesting, uh, I've been playing Zelda Breath of the Wild recently, and it's quite fascinating when you fight monsters how all oh, this 16 health point dragons lesson actually applied to something like Zelda because there are a lot of monster, You could hit them, hit them, hit them, hit them. It doesn't do anything. You're supposed to look at the monster, and it's it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle you need to solve. And when you do something, going back to the example of 4th edition but uh, applying to Zelda, it's clear that you got creatures, we've got a sort of blooded condition because suddenly they move to using another type of attack from this point on so you could have things like okay he's got all these minions okay you kill all the minions he's going dragon ball z on the thing is like yeah no i can take my final form to fight you because you're you're worthy opponent and you make something happen mechanically maybe nothing changes behind your screen but in your description you make suddenly the fight the encounter
2: yeah, something to change that rhythm so that it doesn't feel like you're just kind of doing the same thing
1: over and over. I would have a have a message also for the players watching Operation Kondo As a player, I want to apply the lessons of Jackie Chan against in the the excellent video he showed us every frame, a painting, trying to describe my character more like an underdog and embrace a bit more. the failures I make, or even if I make a success, describe my characters like, okay, I hit him and I take five hit points, but I knock my head in the process at the same time and I'm wobbly about that.
0: You know, Colm, that's all right if the game is that tone. If you're playing a very serious, very like spy thriller film, that's not really the sort of place for, you know, just as a little warning label.
2: Well, I don't it doesn't necessarily have to be it doesn't have to be comedic. I think that it's it's a good reminder in that video. It talks about how one of the interesting things about Jackie Chan is that he is not afraid to get hurt in his films, not so much making them, but like as a character, he's not afraid to be the one that gets punched in the face sometimes. And I think that's a good reminder for players that it's it's okay if you get hit sometimes and it's okay to work that into the combat and into the story and it doesn't have to be comedic but i think you can it's okay for bad things to happen to your character sometimes and you it's okay to roll with that and that can be a really good part of the story and it can help move things forward
1: it can be sad and uh, and touching or also very heroic and a big example john McLean, die hard that's what the character is about is this badass character but He's walking on shards of glass, and he's bleeding, and etc. He's having a very difficult time. I don't think when you see Macklin stepping on shards of glass, it, it's not exactly comedic. You're like, oh, oh, this. But he's that's about the. the it struggle humanizes and, him,
2: and it makes you sort of relate to that. That, like, as you're watching it, you're like, you're also sort of kind of cringing and feeling that pain. And I think that that's sort of rounds out the person.
1: Yeah, it's the humanity and the idea. And I think it applies when we were discussing using elements of the environment. It's not just the swashbuckling effect or the comedic effect. It's getting things grounded, making things feel more more real, more rich, more deep. Because suddenly from being in that sort of, oh, I'm having a fight, but it's like in Street Fighter, the arcade game. It's just a background. and doesn't intervene in anything. Suddenly you have a fight and it's uh, yeah it's a bit more like Zelda. You run behind a column, you hide uh, to avoid some uh, laser beams and stuff like that. Suddenly the whole thing becomes much much richer and and grounded. You know, coming back thinking about system, I listened uh, several times to the excellent Mask RPG. You've been part of Trials of uh, for the RPG Academy, and now I'm trying to master that game. Actually, that game's got a lot of that built into it and it was very interesting uh, if you listen to that show to hear you came up with ideas and descriptions in the the fight which took place in a big stadium and you make this stadium exist and uh, it's not only important at a table to RPG table but even more in a podcast unless you're playing uh, and it's not a criticism at all unless you have a printed map or your dwarf forge decor in little models with your miniatures all set there You've stopped bringing up things, mentioning them in the action. Actually, it doesn't exist anymore.
2: Anything that you have not said at the table does not exist in RPGs. You know, that's kind of a holdover from, like, wargaming, which is really the start of D&D, is that there's this idea that, like, if it's on the table in front of me and I can see it and that's what's there. And to some degree, for some people, it's kind of hard to get past that grid map and that, that visual part of it, but it's... A lot of it is theater of the mind, and you as a player can bring things to the table, too. It's not always on the the GM to describe everything for you, too. And certainly they hold the right to say, no, that's that's not, you know, you can't do that. But um, you can say what it looks like.
0: So, Amelia, we're getting a little low on time, but uh you had a talking point you wanted to talk about as far as, like, application of themes and ideas to a tabletop RPG. Please be so kind to... See. Sure.
2: Um, I think that a big part of this is sort of solving a mystery, looking for a treasure. I think that's a big part of the story here. And I know I mentioned earlier that I felt like some of this could have been mapped onto anything. But a big part of this movie was... Finding the key, and then where does it lead to, and what is the treasure at the end, and how do we get it out? And I think that that's a theme that is pretty prevalent in a lot of RPGs. But this was sort of an interesting way to do it. You have this party of people, and they're looking for this treasure, and they get there, and there's nothing there. And
0: 240 pounds of Nazi gold.
2: <laughs> right, yeah. But they get there, and like, there's not really anything there and they have to go continue to find it and i thought that that having to keep looking for it too is really interesting because i think a lot of times you you know you follow the clues and then ta da there it is and i think it's okay to have a little bit of that misdirection too when you're looking for something and then you get down there into this dungeon or whatever and there's nothing there and you know you still have to kind of continue to look for it and solve more puzzles and i liked that idea
1: something like that which actually i read in a um Scenario I'm, I'm mastering for Archipel's D20, uh, a French piratey setting, is that to adding to the dungeon exploration, mystery-seeking and uh, finding the treasure, adding a, a race aspect by having other people in the dungeon also being just behind you, trying to go after the same thing as you are, it can be something which uh, yeah makes that dungeon different or that mystery different from that other. The fact that there's, there's another group of people with maybe similar skill who are trying to, not only to stop you,
0: but... Beat you to it. Yeah, beat you to it. I think there is a Pathfinder adventure path, the Siren area, the uh Tomb Raiding, basically, has your group going into these sort of like pyramids and temples and things like that. But there's also other groups that are buying for those treasures. And it's sort of like a race to get to the treasure first and get away with it, so, or you said, um, that really adds a little bit more to a dungeon if you know that someone's right on your heels. And that happens in the film. There is a second force just behind Jackie as he's rushing in to try and find these, the treasure. So um, I, I feel like that gives the players, players are tend to stall out, will get hung up on a detail and a secondary force that is able to keep them going, I think is a good idea as far as getting players to move forward from those moments that will stall them.
2: It sort of artificially keeps the plot moving. And again, goes along with that pacing thing of, you know, what can slow things down. And this is certainly something that can help against that too.
1: It's quite funny also to see in, uh, uh, armor of God Two There's are, there's not that much of it, but there are little scenes where the bad guys, uh, the people racing with Jackie and his team, uh, who will briefly collaborate or, you know, have a, just a one scene truce between them. So during the fight on this moving structure, at some point, there's one of the bad guys about to fall to his death to an electric whatever. And there's kind of a nod of the head between Jackie and the other guys. Okay. Uh, Jackie doesn't want to kill them. Yeah. Right. He
2: just wants to not be killed by them. <laughs>
1: and they don't want to die. It, it's, it's rather classic. And later it happens also with the surviving Nazi who helped them to, to get out. But, uh, it's also a classic moment in movies where you got two teams racing for something and then something happens and suddenly you've got your heroes and the bad guys who need to briefly or at least part of them to briefly collaborate in order to survive the situation or to move forward. Like in The Last Crusade, you just the exact same scene here where it's the bad guys even caught the heroes and, but rather than just kill them, they're like, okay, we still need them and we're going to put them in front of us and they're going to, unlock the traps for us, which is an opportunity for the hero, of course, to save the day again, but it's also a way, as a game master, you could say, okay, they caught you, uh, you lost the, that last fight encounter with them, you are their prisoner, but you're still going to be the one who solved the mystery and the traps because rather than do it in front of you and you watch them from the side, no, no, they take you by the collar, put you in front of the trap and say, okay, no, you solved that, and uh, if you die because of that, well, too bad for you, but uh, at least you're helping us.
0: I want to run that now, (laughs) right? You want to run this sort of high-paced, high-action adventure Indiana Jones film, right? It's just right. There's just a certain amount of energy to running a game like this that I think a lot of people can get behind. And
1: yeah, do you have experience? Do you have memories of a game which succeeded at doing that, either as a player or as a game master? I know Shadow of the Cabal is more boring intrigue long political Ooh. discussions but is there were there any point where there was some i don't know action and fun or-
0: oh yeah there's there's a ton of moments like that for us the last episode was great by the way i love those uh thank you spoiler alert no no spoilers go listen to the episode go listen to the series and listen to the finale oh
2: listen to it it's so good so good
0: i haven't listened to the fifth
1: finale yet but uh, i love the underground adventures oh they're so good well you you have to listen to last episode
2: oh man so. do it do it ugh,
1: do it so you were you were saying dakota any <sighs> memories uh, right in that scene? so
0: as much as i love indiana jones films like i was raised and basically grew up with indiana jones and films like that i've never actually had a game that's successfully captured the sort of tone, pace, or adventure of an Indiana Jones film. I've never actually tried to run one to capture the same fill. I think a lot of the issues that I have as a GM is pacing. So maybe there are some lessons here for me to learn as to, like, how do I push the story forward and sort of do that? Now, you know, it's on me to apply those lessons.
2: It's it's really hard. I was I mean, that's a really good question. And I don't think that I've had a game that has done it really successfully either. And I made a note while watching this movie about the pace that by the time I was twenty minutes in, we were on the fourth action scene already. It moves really fast. And I doing that in a game is really, really difficult. And I think the more players you have, the harder it is. So I think potentially just having a smaller party might make that better too. I mean certainly don't want to leave people out, but definitely the more people you have the the more difficult it is to
1: kind of maintain that quick pace too
0: what about you Clum? have you had anything like indiana jones or operation Connor two
1: no no and actually the, the last time someone promised to me some pulp action it was for call of cthulhu and it it really didn't turn the way it was advertised uh like i went to the face of the bad guy in his office in the day you know uh across the street from british museum and i say I know you are up to it and I'm, I'm going to have you someday. You know, like the senior thing in the movie, the hero does that at some point and then you leave his office and I got shot in the corridor and I was like,
2: (laughs) that's so anticlimactic.
1: (laughs) What? You said it was pulp. (laughs) I created this character based on the lost in hell production script, smoke and mirrors. And then you, you do that to me. I was like, ah, no, that's what, not what I was still. The, the thing I would say, it's not really action, but that's the inspiration I got from this movie. I think sometimes we get too focused on the maybe the main plot of a role-playing game. And actually, when you make it lighter, the main plot, that gives you room to do other things. So the best game I had last year was the Call of Cthulhu game. And it was very linear. It was very simple. We were parents. We were going after or lost daughters from a scoot camp. We went to the scoot camp, we found something, there was a trail, we followed the trail where the trail. We arrived to a a cave where our girl was. So it was very simple. It was really following the trail and our motivation were was simple. So we didn't have to worry about clues, etc. But it freed myself and the other players who are podcasters also uh, Kai from Wizard of the Wind. Mark for Champions RPG. I'm, I'm plugging everyone. The game master was uh, Joel Trier from all we roll podcast. We were excellent at, at Call of Tulu, And there was Camille who was with us in first episode, uh, who's from Demipia, but it made us role play more. So in this case, it was not action, but the fact that the plot was simple created room for us to be, okay, I'm the divorced father of a young girl and this guy next to me is a lawyer and is the new husband of my ex-wife. And we, because I didn't have to worry about clues, et cetera, I could role play with that and develop stuff and have little scenes, which were very, very deep. And, and I thought it was, yeah, it was freeing. We, we, we felt much free and much more available to concentrate on other stuff. So yeah, that's what I, what I would take for this movie. If I, if I wanted to do an action thing, I would try to make my plot lighter. And I, I tend to make my plot too heavy. Uh, again, uh, Mastering Mask.
2: Well, I think it, it goes back to, like I said, that it felt like you could have translated this onto really any plot because it was more about those action scenes. And I think leaving some of it, letting that plot be a little simpler leaves room for the players to kind of fill in those pieces, have a lot of plot and stuff. You're going to be really focused on that. And those games are fun too, but this not. This kind of thing, I think, is better served having that more linear, easier, simpler thing, because your players can fill in the other parts of it themselves.
1: I think also we're talking a lot about the action in uh, in this movie, but there were a few... It was not big and psychological, but there's a lot of uh, just... And again, it's sad that your edited-down version did have this great uh, character development montage, But this movie left room for the characters and maybe the actors enjoy each other and just have fun interacting and doing goofy, stupid little things because we don't have to make any exposition for the plot like you would do in actual uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. It's just some characters got a lot of room for no reason, like the hotel owner. I mean,
2: we saw him a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I love that guy.
1: <laughs> I think the idea is that don't try to fill everything. I, I guess it's it's almost a different take on the leave blanks on your map from Dungeon World. Is that leave blanks in your plot or in your scene and your session, and hopefully your players and even yourself could fill that with other stuff which are different and could be interesting to your game and make one session unique. Thanks to thanks thanks to that.
0: Okay, Um do you guys have any? We're, we're getting low on time do you guys have any last points you'd like to make uh, amelia
2: no i think that this is there's a lot of interesting things to be learned here about running a game i think they are all really difficult lessons that it sounds like we've all kind of struggled with in our own games and things that really are just going to take some practice and probably watching more jackie chan movies i mean it's something that we could all we could all stand to do
1: Oh, I, I need to say, uh, thanks to you, Dakota, and your suggestion for this movie. I found a new passion for myself. I'm no deeply passionate about songs
0: sung by Jackie Chan. <laughs> I just love those. He, have you, have you listened to his, uh, I'll make a man out of what? you? He did the Cantonese version for Mulan. Why did I? Ha- yeah, it's great. I listened to oh it for God. the first time That's today. I'm going to go look
2: this up after we get done. This is so good. Ah, I love Mulan.
1: I love that the song, the one for Armor of God 2, you've got the (laughs) from um, that scene that didn't get cut from your version, right? With the dancing up people in the end.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. With the the natives.
1: Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Mm -hmm. You need to include that song at at the end of this episode.
0: I don't have anything else to add. If you like Jackie Chan films, this isn't his best. It's entertaining. Watch anything from the 80s to 2000 on the nose. That's my hot take. Jackie Chan's only movie after 2000 that's good is The Foreigner. That's all I have to say. Fight me. (laughs) I'd be happy to talk to you about it. I like Jackie Chan films. So we're going to start our sign off now. This is brought to you by the patrons of the RPG Academy. You can find them at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. And... Thanks to those people that support us, we're able to make this content for you and other content like it. So if if you like it, please feel free to help Michael out. He's a wonderful person. This is Dakota with Shadow of the Cabal Player, and uh, I'm joined today with Amelia. Could you tell us where to find you?
2: Sure. I am at Ginger Reckoning on Twitter. Um, I am also eventually going to be on Shadow of the Cabal. What? Soon. <gasps> you can hear me on one episode already. Um, and then I also am working on my own podcast right now called the character, nice. character Creation Cast, where we sit down and talk with people who are passionate about different role-playing systems and we sit down and go through the character creation process with them. Um, we're hoping to get that up pretty soon. So
0: where can they find that on Twitter?
2: Um, that one is at Creation Cast.
0: Right. And Colomb, could you tell us about the Roulettes and yourself? So the Roulettes podcast is the proudly London-based
1: show of tabletop RPG fans across the channel, across the pond, and beyond. Release uh, monthly episodes. We are currently releasing episodes about the Dragon Meat convention, which took place in London last December. I think we're trying to make something special uh, and quite surprising. And uh, yeah, please come check us out. I would add also, you mentioned Michael from the RPG Academy. For once, for the first time in the Film Studies uh, RPG Academy, we know what's going to be the next movie in the next episode. So Michael's going to lead us into Clue, the 1985 uh, American movie by Jonathan Lee. I think, Lin, I think it's it's based on Clue, though, right?
0: Yes, it's based on the board game. It's a... um it's done by Hasbro, and they made a murder mystery comedy, and it's well regarded as a cult film. It's it's very enjoyable.
2: Oh man,
0: That's definitely a good worth movie. checking out. It is a very good movie. <laughs>
2: Flames on the side of my face.
0: <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, so uh, yeah. I'm good. Oh really? Uh, you're in for a treat. It has some very notable actors. Tim Curry is in that. I yes, think? Tim Curry is in the film. I was just trying to struggle for his name, but yeah, Tim Curry is the butler in the in the film.
2: I haven't watched that movie in so like since high school, probably.
0: But you might have to watch it for films. I'll have to. But yes, our next episode will be Clue with Michael from the RPG Academy. It is still up in the air as to who will be joining him, but rest assured that we will have. Some wonderful advice for you for running a mystery murder comedy film. So uh, thank you for
1: joining us. Bye.
0: Bye.